Um, hey, good morning. It's great to see you all. Hello. Welcome here in person. Folks online, love that you're here with us today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about some big, some important questions. Who is God? What does he want? Who are we? What do we want? And how do we both get what we want? And guess what? Those questions are answered. All of that is in the Bible. It's a great book, bestseller. You should try reading it. Um, we're going to look in the book of Exodus today. But before we do that, let's get a little preview. The Apostle John, he was one of Jesus' best friends. He sums up what we're going to talk about today this way. The Word, that's God, became flesh and made his dwelling. He tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, there is so much packed in there. Whew. John, he's pointing to the fact that we want, we need glory, significance, meaning in our lives. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're looking for. And you know, the only place that will really satisfy that desire is God's glory. That's the only place where we'll get it. it. Our lives are basically meaningless without God's glory, his presence in our lives. And God, he wants to be with us, to dwell with us, to live with us, to tabernacle with us. He wants that, but we're sinners. That's who we are. God, though, he loves us so much. He wants to forgive us. He, he, he wants to, to, to be that connection, but he can't just ignore our sin. Our sin can't go unpunished. He comes full of grace and truth. That's who God is. So God makes a way. He makes a way for, for us to be with him, to experience his glory and his presence. That's the tabernacle in the wilderness in Exodus. That's Jesus on the cross, dying for us, the Holy Spirit living us in us now. That's how we both get what we want. But I am getting way ahead of myself here. Um, we're actually not just going to talk about abstract ideas today. We're going to see this in practice in the book of Exodus, how it plays out in the story there. So the book of Exodus, it starts out, the first part of the book of Exodus is God saving his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. It is action-packed, and it's got the ten plagues, and it's God introducing himself, demonstrating his name, his character, his purpose. Then we get to the second part of Exodus, and that's God testing his people in the wilderness. In this liminal space, this space of transition, God gives his people, the Israelites, the opportunity to surrender to his wisdom. And that brings us to chapter 19, where they get to Mount Sinai. And God, his presence is at the top of the mountain. You got all the fire and smoke up there. And God says to his people, hey, I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. You should be mine, right? You, you sh we should enter into a covenant. You, you obey me and you become my treasured possession. It's like God and the Israelites are getting married. And the Israelites are like, we're all in. They're like, oh, we'll do it. We, we'll obey everything God says. Although God, he really wants to be with his new bride. He, he invites them to come up to the top of the mountain where the smoke and fire... And they look up there and they're like, uh, maybe Moses will go. We're good here. They don't go up to experience God's glory. The one thing we all need, they're afraid. So Moses, he heads on up to seal the deal, right? He gets the Ten Commandments, the first one of which is, you shall have no other God before me. This is a serious commitment. It is not an open marriage. And then he comes back down. They have um, the Israelites again are like, we are in, we, we want in. They eat and they drink. It's like a nice wedding reception. And that brings us to the third part of Exodus. The third part of Exodus, Moses goes back up the mountain and God, he has some gifts for his new bride. He has a lovely keepsake. It's a copy of the Ten Commandments carved into some handsome stone tablets. He also, again, wants to be with his bride. So he gives Moses these blueprints, these detailed plans for the tabernacle, right? For, for the furniture in the tabernacle, for, for the, the priest's garments, okay? 
that's chapters 25 through 40 of Exodus. And for Bible nerds, they love this part, right? Because all that detail has rich meaning in it. It says so much about God. It interacts with the rest of the Bible. It's great stuff. But for normal people, those detailed plans get a little boring. It just gets dull. But don't miss the big picture, which is God is madly in love, right? He's, he's marrying the Israelites. And he's like, here's the plans for the double wide. We're going to move in together and we're going to travel through the wilderness. And it's a little bit tricky because you've got the holy God together with, you know, sinful humans. There has to be sacrifices for their sin. There has to be rituals to protect them from this dangerous God. But God makes a way. He makes a way so they can experience his glory and his presence. Okay, grab a Bible. That brings us to chapter 32. It's page 61 on the Bibles we have here. And we're going to, um, again, we're, we're, we're in the middle of all these blueprints, these detailed plans, and there's like a little three-chapter intermission. Well, it's, it's actually the opposite of an intermission. It's a return to the action. It, we return to the wedding drama in Exodus. Okay? So, again, God and the Israelites, they've gotten married. And they've had a lovely reception. And then it's like they're loading the gifts into the car. And while they're doing that, the bride cheats on her husband. The people cheat on God. Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. Then when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. No one, including God, likes to be cheated on. But that's what us humans do. We cheat on God. We look to, for glory elsewhere. Now, sure, not a lot of us build golden calves in our garages to bow down to. But all of us put other things above God in our lives. We do. And, you know, we're really good at ignoring it and rationalizing it, but it's really not that hard to find our idols. Just think about what you think about when you're not thinking about God. Think about where your mind just kind of has to go. Maybe it's to a good thing, like your family or your career, or maybe it's to a bad thing, like drugs or porn. You know, what is the thing we would rather spend our time and our money on other than God? If we let the Holy Spirit, he is really good at showing us our idols, the things we put above God. Let, let's just let him do that for us today. Again, we all got idols. Let's go past that to why and how God can help us move past our idols. So idols are really us looking for glory in the wrong places, okay? We're, we're too afraid. 
We're too impatient. We're too whatever to look to God for glory. So we look to our idols for glory. Now, glory is not a word that like normal people use, right? So I probably should translate this from churchy talk into normal English. In the Bible, in the Hebrew word for glory had really two meanings to it. It meant weighty, solidity, you know, reality, as well as importance and significance. So in English, we really have just one word that has both of those meanings, and it's the word matter. Matter is the stuff of the physical universe. It has weight. And when something's important, it matters. It has significance when it matters. You and I, we need to know that we matter. That's the glory that we're seeking in our idols. Now, sure, often it starts out with us looking for pleasure in our idols. But you know, if you go long enough with your idols, pretty soon you see that that pleasure ain't worth it. But we still can't let go. Where do we see that in our lives? Some of us, we're looking for glory in accomplishment. You know, professional glory, financial glory, political glory, artistic glory, right? If we could just be successful, then we would matter. And this isn't just ego, you know, because if we could be successful, then we would be real. We'd have weight. Humans need that. Some of us, we don't really care much about success, but we are desperate to be loved. If we could just have someone to love us, to miss us, to care about us, then we would, be ma- then we would matter. And others of us, we're, we're just looking for the next like on social media, right? We're, we're, we're just the, the next win in gambling, right? If we could just, the drugs, the sex, the porn, the eating, the shopping, if we could just get another hit of oxytocin in our brain, then it feels somehow like we matter. That's a form of glory. But none of those last. No, we, all, we just need more and more. They just fade away. And they don't just fade, they fade us. Yeah, just take money, for example. It's good to work and make money. But if money is the center of our identity, if, if we don't matter unless we're financially successful, then we will drive ourselves into the ground. We will overwork and we will let work consume us. It's really true for all our idols. Even love. It's good to seek love. We need love. But if love is our identity, if we don't matter unless a particular person loves us, oh, I'm okay if you love me, that that person can't carry that weight. And, And we will try too hard. We will give up way too much to get a love that will never be enough for us. And don't just believe me when I tell you this. This is what Moses says in Exodus. He, he says this as well. If we go back to verse 10, remember it says, Now leave me alone, this is God talking, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now that's a pretty amazing offer that God makes to Moses, to make him into a great nation. But Moses doesn't take him up on the offer. No, what follows is five um, requests that Moses makes, sort of five intercessions, to use churchy talk. And you might remember that Moses made five excuses back in chapter 3 when God first showed up at the burning bush. Well, now he's going to make these five requests. And really, he's going to become the kind of leader that God always knew he would be. So, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people." Okay, that's Moses' first intercession, his first little argument, and then he's going to remind God about his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we don't have time to get into all of that today. But here's the thing. Actually, Carmen Imes, do you remember Carmen Imes? She's the expert on this part of the Bible. She talks about this. Look at the glory. God is offering Moses 
amazing personal glory. He's saying to Moses, you can be a, a nation. Just imagine yourself being a nation, right? I would be Jonastan. I imagine I'd be like Canada, right? That's incredible personal glory. And Moses says, no, because he knows that God's glory, his reputation is more important. He knows that even being his own nation will never be enough to make him matter. He needs God's glory, his presence. And later, Moses says it even more clearly. So um, this is later, this is in chapter 33. Um, Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Pretzelites, Hivites, Jebusites. Um, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Okay, so now then we jump down to verse 15, and this is Moses' response. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Okay, so God has agreed not to destroy them, to keep his promises, but he's saying, hey, we need a break from each other, right? We just got married, but we need a separation. Now, even though they cheated on God, he's still going to pay a rich alimony to them, right? He's going to give them the land full of milk and honey. This is crazy amazing. I mean, in America, in much of the American church, this is the dream. God, make us rich and successful, and you just keep all your pesky rules and leave us alone. We got this on our own. We don't need you in transformation. This is, is, like I said, this is the American dream. And Moses says, no way. No way. Uh Uh-uh. If you don't go with us, if we don't have your presence and your glory, then just leave us here in the desert, in the wilderness, to die. Literally, to die. It matters that much. Our lives, they don't matter without God's glory. The thing that we are looking for, that we want, to to know that we matter, we can only get that in God, his glory glory, his presence. Now, I need to be really clear here. You can learn from John's mistakes. I've been following Jesus for a while, and I haven't always actually been seeking his glory, his weight, his significance. When I um, got out of law school, I was a fresh young attorney, and I wanted God. And I prayed for him to make me successful, because I thought if I was successful, then I would matter. I was using God as a means to an end, to get to my idol. And then later in my life, when I got cancer, when I went through that trial, oh, I wanted God. And I prayed because I I wanted him to heal me, to save my life, because I thought my life and my health mattered. Until I turned this life, the life he had given me, over to him. And then for years in my life, I asked for, I thanked God for his love. Oh, his love is so good. I love, there's nothing better than God's love. Until one day, I remember it like it was yesterday, I was driving in my car, and I felt like I heard Jesus' voice. And he said, hey, I love you. I love you, John. But is that all you want? Don't you realize that I'm the prize? There's more than just my love? To experience God's glory is to experience his incredible beauty. It is to find him beautiful, not just useful. It, it, it is, it is to, to be satisfied by him, for him, in him of himself, to worship him for himself, not just for what we get out of him. That's what Moses asks for. After God says, okay, Moses, I'll go with you guys, Um, Moses says, then Moses said, 
Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. Um, but my face must not be seen. Okay, this is a little weird. Um, but it goes back to how it's tricky for a holy God to be with, to live with sinful people. Again, remember, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And here, when, when God passes by, Moses isn't just going to get to see his backside. God is going to give him this incredible statement of who he is. It's one of the most incredible summations of who God is in the entire Bible. And what we see is the God of Exodus and Jesus, they're the same guy. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's who God is. That's what he wants. And it's important for us to see who he actually is. Yes, God is crazy in love with us. He is. He, he wants to be with us, to, to tabernacle with us. He, he wants to love us and forgive us. He is full of grace. Yet he isn't Santa Claus. He is not safe. We actually have to confess our sins. We need to repent and let Jesus, let Jesus take the punishment for us. If we are going to experience God's glory, experience his presence. And God is just. He's absolutely, he cares about justice. Victims get this. God can't be loving and let things go unpunished, right? The Israelites, after they made the golden calf, they were guilty. And the, the worst of them got the death penalty, about 3,000 of them. And everyone else, God sent a plague on them, all the accomplices. Sin is serious, and the punishment from sin is serious. And yet we see here that mercy triumphs over just judgment. We, we see that, that God's love and his goodness, his forgiveness goes to thousands and his judgment comes on a few generations. See, to experience God's presence, to actually experience his glory, we have to receive his mercy. We have to give up on our righteousness and accept Jesus' righteousness. Yeah, this is who God is. Jesus came full of grace and truth. This explains the tabernacle in the wilderness in Exodus. This explains Jesus on the cross dying for us. It's because God makes a way for us to experience his glory, his presence. It's how we both get what we want. God gets us and we get him. And in him, we matter. We have weight and significance. So how do we press into that? I thought you would never ask. First, we need to check our motives. We, we've already kind of talked about this, right? Why do we want God? Do we actually want him or are we just using God? I love the way the guys at the Bible Project, um, they say this. Um, they say, the point of the golden calf narrative is to say God's purposes have always been to work out his plan in the world through a covenant people. Problem, that covenant people, from the moment he marries them, have not wanted to be married to the real him. Oh, the same's true for us. 
Do we want to be married? Do we want to be in a relationship with the real Jesus? Do we even know what the real God is like? Or is God just a creation in our heads, right? We always agree with God because he's just a projection of us. It's worth taking some time to meet God in the Bible. I recommend starting with the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even if you've read them a hundred times, read them again and pay attention to the part that you're ignoring, that you're like skipping over. For me, one of the things that really helps me personally to check my motives is part of what Moses said. He said, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now, I love that following Jesus is about transformation. It's so good. My life has become better and better the more and more I become like Jesus. I love that part about it. But more and more, I've wanted to change to become like Jesus to give Jesus glory, to make him famous because he's worth it, because he deserves it. He is so good. If us as a community, as a Duluth Vineyard community, if we could have more and more of God's glory in us, radiating out of us to the people around us, that would change everything. Oh, Lord Jesus, come and do that. Your glory. Okay, next. After God says, hey, I ain't going with you because I might destroy you, Then it says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Um, Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments on Mount Horeb. That's also Mount Sinai. Okay, so is God against jewelry? Does he hate earrings and bracelets? No. Um, Back then, they didn't have banks. There were no accounts, right? So they carried much of their wealth around with, with them in their ornaments, in their jewelry. And God's pointing out that what we use our wealth for, there's a pretty direct line between that and what we look to to matter for significance and security in our lives. We saw last week, right, how the Israelites, they used their wealth, their ornaments, to build the tabernacle. That's what it pointed to. This week, they're using their wealth, their ornaments, to build a golden calf, an idol. How about in our lives? What are we using our money for? What does that point to for where we're getting our glory from? And if you want to test this, just practice generosity. Practice generosity. Maybe just give 10% of your income to the church like it describes in the Bible. Tithing. Or maybe go even farther and be radically generous with the poor like we see in the book of Acts, right? Give away money until you can actually feel it and then you'll find your idols. When you get to the point where you're like, no, I can't give that. No, no, I want to. I got to spend my money on what? That's our idol. That's what's keeping us from experiencing the glory of God. And you know, practicing generosity, it doesn't just reveal our idols. It it also is this statement of belief that God alone is our source of significance and security in our lives. And actually giving, it actually helps to solidify, to to make that, that firm in our hearts as we give. So just ask Jesus what he'd have you do in your life with giving. Okay, next. Look at Moses' prayer. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. What are we praying for? There's nothing wrong to pray for healing. There's nothing wrong to pray for our friends and our family. There's nothing wrong to, to pray for all our needs. We should bring all our needs to the God in prayer. But do we ever pray for God's glory? God, show me your glory. Show this community, show the Duluth Vineyard your glory so that we, we can show your glory to the world. We do not have because we do not ask. Let's pray for God's glory. Maybe every day for the next 40 days, let's pray for God's glory for 40 days in a row. 
see what he does. And you know, prayer is a conversation, right? Two-way street. Um, it helps to give him some space to speak. You know, I, I don't know, without silence and solitude, it's really hard with that regular practice in our lives to actually hear what God says, to, to listen to what he will say about his glory. Okay, next. When Moses asks to see God's glory, God says, and the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. God will do the same for us. And we need to look for his goodness. His goodness is all around us in creation. But I think the best place, the, the, there's no better place to see God's goodness than on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Jesus, right? The only son of God. He humbles himself. He becomes human. He lives a perfect life. And then he suffers and dies on that cross to rescue us. Do you see the beauty, the, the glory of the bloody cross? Jesus hanging there on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, we we can't see the face of God and live. Sinless Jesus could. But there for the first time, he can't see the face of God. Jesus loses the face of God. It's lost to him. And with that, for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus is cut off. Right? He is utterly ignored. Uh, insignificant, right? He is no longer adored and glorified. He doesn't matter at all. That's hell. And Jesus experiences it in our place. The cross is horrible. It is awful. And not just because of the blood. And yet, the cross, it is beautiful and glorious because in that, in, in losing the face of God, Jesus makes it possible for us to see God's face. In experiencing hell in our place, he makes it possible for God to welcome us into his kingdom that we can be with him now through the Holy Spirit in us and for all of eternity. That's how God is both grace and truth. It's how he can be both in us. Take some time to marvel at the cross, to see God's goodness there. Look for his goodness, for his glory. All right, there it is, okay? In three chapters, in Exodus, we've seen who God is and what he wants, who, who we are and what we want, and how we can both get what we want. So now, what are we going to do about it? Each and every one of us, everyone online, everyone here, we got a choice to make. What are we going to do about this? We, we all have idols in our lives, things that we put above God. Will we turn from those idols and look to God for glory? The, the God who is madly in love with us, right? He is slow to anger. He is so gracious and compassionate. He wants us. Is it time in our lives for a real relationship with the real God? Let's welcome his presence. Let's let him show us how in him we matter. We have weight. We have significance. Let's press into that together. I want to invite you to stand up with me here at home. Go ahead and get comfortable. We're moving into ministry time. This is a time where we interact with God, with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. Come now. Lord, come with your presence and your glory. Come and help us to see your beauty. Come, Lord, come. And God, as we wait on you, I think this is hitting many of us in very different ways. Some of us, we, um, we don't even see the idols in our life. We're so good at rationalizing and ignoring them. We don't see the things that we are going to so that we can feel like we matter. So Holy Spirit, come and shine a really bright light. 
Help us to see the truth. And I love how so often in my life, Holy Spirit, it feels like you're punching me and giving me a hug at the same time. You, you, uh, you need us to see the truth, but you love us so much. You don't just leave us in our pain. Come and show us our idols. And Lord, help us to see how you made a way for us to actually matter, for us to be with you. I think for some of us, this, this talk, it, it hits us, it fills us with excitement. Like, wait a minute, I, I could actually know God. I could get beyond just using him and, and trying to get what I want and actually experience this mystical, this marvelous experience. Of, if that's where you're at, just ask for that now. Lord, be real to me. Lord, come and show me your glory. I don't want to use you anymore. I want you. I want you. Come, Lord. You know, I, I'd like to invite the ministry team to come forward. We've got some, fre- some folks that are trained to pray with you, and it is a terrific way to press into this. If, if you're struggling to get past your idols, if you want to have an, an experience of God's glory, if you want to experience his presence more in your life, if really there's anything you need God's help from today, maybe you're struggling in relationships or financial problems, there's, there's healing you need, physical healing, we would love to pray for you. They're going to lead us in some more worship here, and I'm just going to invite you to slow down. Listen to God. See what more he has to say for you personally today. Thanks so much for coming to the vineyard.